everyone, y'all. This is your girl, Brie Undeniably, checking in for another episode of my speaker series, Deep Conversations with Dope Individuals, where we're discussing development, decision-making, and dedicating yourself to purpose. I am here with a super dope individual who goes by the name of Dr. Michael Alsey. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so good to be here, Bree. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Um, before I give you the introduction that you deserve, I am going to give a couple shout outs. I like to get those um, out of the way in the beginning of the episode. So first and foremost, if you are watching this uh, podcast on YouTube or if you're listening to it on wherever you get your podcasts, um, you will hear that crisp, clean audio and you will see that crisp, clean video. That is all thanks to Gotham Podcast Studio. Uh, so if you can see the studio I'm recording in, as well as all the great people behind the scenes help me out with the production of these uh, this series, that's all thanks to Gotham Podcast Studio. So shout out to them. Uh, the next shout out, as always, I'd like to shout out um, a sponsor of mine, MC Kicks. They are always hooking it up with all of the dope merch, um, customizable kicks, denims, whatever you want. So if you want to check out MC Kicks, you can find them at E-M-C-E-E-K-I-C-K-S. If you want to go to their website, just add .com to the end of that. Uh, and finally, as I always speak about when you're building something of your own, you also have to pump yourself up. So if you have not checked out my website, you can go to BrieUndeniably.com. That's where you can get all of your dope individual merch or your I Am Possible merch. You can also check out all the other cool things that I'm doing. So though I love podcasting, it's just one part of the many things that I do. Um, so I also do speaking engagements. I'm doing workshops all in the personal and professional development space. So go ahead, check that out, briandeniably.com. Um, and that's where you can see what I'm doing and get all that merch. All right. Those are all the shout outs. We are ready to kick into it. Um, so with me today, I have Dr. Michael Alsey, who is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Tarrytown, New York, and mental health educator at the Manhattan School of Music. He specializes in the psychology of artists in everyday creativity and the professional development of therapists. His contributions have appeared in the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, NPR, Salon.com, and on the TEDx stage. His forthcoming book, from Norton entitled Therapeutic Improvisation, How to Stop Winging It and Own It as a Therapist will be out in spring 2022. Michael, once again, welcome to the show. So great to be here. I'm excited to talk. Absolutely. Um, I'm so excited to have you. I already in our introduction, I'm sure my listeners can tell that there's a lot of crossover here um, in the therapeutic space, in the counseling community. So you will actually be no stranger to the way that I um, like to start our conversation. I always like to really mirror what we do in the counseling community by meeting our clients where they're at. I like to do the same thing with my guests so my listeners can understand a little bit more about you. So um, help us meet you where you're at and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So it turns out that I tried to get away from psychology and counseling as much as I possibly could, um, but it, it came to find me again. Um, so I grew up with a mother who was a social worker. And uh, from a very, very young age, I was always curious about how people worked and their stories. And not only was my mom a social worker, but she was really a lover of literature. And so when we would talk about whatever I was reading, To Kill a Mockingbird or an Arthur Miller or Tennessee Williams play or, or something fantastic like that, or even a good movie, we talk about the characters in 
those works as if they were our friends or even a side of us. And when I would talk about my, you know, woes as a child or as a teenager, my mom would treat it with the same kind of curiosity and wonder as if we were talking about a piece of art. And um, I can distinctly remember, Brie, when I was a kid, one of my earlier memories is walking in my pajamas into the living room and stumbling on my mom talking to a stranger. They looked very comfortable and they looked very cozy. And it turns out my mom was starting her private practice and <laughs> I didn't know what that was. But all growing up, she eventually moved to the garage. And I would say hello to clients and patients, as we would call them, as if they were friends, too. So to, to me, talking about what's deep, most important to you, what is the most profound and moving, difficult, exciting things going on in your life is, is being home. So to me, therapy is always about finding your way back home. Wow. I, you know, I, I just, I love this introduction into your life and in, into psychology. And <laughs> even though you were said you were trying to get away from it, <laughs> um, I think that that is, that that's so unique and such a special way to put that, that, you know, it's, it's finding your way home. Um, I, you know, I kind of want to just keep going, uh, you know, push right into this place that you sort of left us at. So um, you, you you understood sort of the realm of psychology from a very young age. I mean, just the, the conversations about book characters, um, really, really unique and interesting way that your mom really implemented that into your life. Um, really, my question is, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the other thing, too, is that I think for those of us who are psychologists or counselors or any amateur students of human behavior, right, mm -hmm. um, we're curious. Yes. And, and the thing about my mom, too, that was wonderful is that she was always curious about not only people, like just what was happening around, mm -hmm. you know. So we could be at a diner, which were very common in Long Island where I grew up. That's what we did. We went to the movies in the diner. And she would kind of notice, you know, could notice the shift of tone or nonverbal that would signal that something was happening in a table beside us. And, and have me notice as if, like, look at how intricate we work. Um, so my mother also, believe it or not, was um, was an immigrant. Uh, both my parents are sort of immigrants, and my mom came, her family came from the Middle East through Panama and Colombia to Brooklyn. And but my mom looked Irish. She had red hair, blue eyes, and fair skin. And so people were very stunned when they were talking in Spanish, and all of a sudden she would respond back fluently. Mm. But usually, what she did is that she didn't just respond back; she'd ask them questions about what country they're from, where their family, all the questions because she was curious. And, um, you know, coming back to literature, I was thinking about this this morning when I was thinking about our talk. And one of uh, her favorite plays or our favorite plays together was a wonderful one by Thornton Wilder called Our Town. And okay. the story is this lovely New England town, you know, piece of America um, from the early 1900s. And there's a character named Emily and and she she dies and at the end, she comes back and she's watching everybody and she's watching a birthday party and she's feeling, why aren't people enjoying this beautiful, precious thing we have that's life? And the stage manager says something to her, not many do while they're living. Only the saints and the poets really notice. And my mother was one of those poets who noticed. And, and she taught me that the beauty of really connecting in psychology and literature and art is to connect to what is so precious and beautiful and fragile about this existence. And, and to me, so she gave me both wonder 
like of awe and wonder of, I wonder. You know, you really just gave me a chill just kind of hearing that that quote, one, you know, that not not many of us do while we're living, uh, you know, experience life or love life or enjoy it. Um, but also, I just think, you know, the, sort of your cornerstone in the field of psychology is so – it's so unique and it's so beautiful and it's such um, a – I guess, a different way to enter the field of psychology because I feel like you entered, you said that place of wonder. That's not always a, a place that people will enter the field of psychology from. <laughs> yeah. and, and I just think, like I said, unique is really the word that comes to my, that comes to my mind, but it seems like your mom helped frame the world for you in a way that psychology kind of pushing into psychology and into that field made sense because you had that that element of wonder that you know wanting to know more about humanity and in the way that you know the intricacies of the way that the world is working within human being existence yeah it's it's amazing to me because i think a lot of the people who think those of us who are counselors or psychologists are in, enamored of problems or where you know you know, really interested in just the technical parts of it. Um, and I think that's true. I mean, one of the great things about learning any craft is learning how to use words or use your different interventions to get at something deeper. But I think one of the reasons that I've written a lot about this recently, especially in the new book, is I think we're more artists than we realize um, as therapists, but also as people. I think sometimes we shortchange ourselves in how much magic is available to us in everyday life and also in our relationships. And um, I think it is it was really refreshing for me to have that entrance into this this wonderful field, because then you sort of feel like every day is a new possibility of being re-enchanted. Mm. Um, even if you're disillusioned, by the way, one of the wonderful things about talking about great literature is you talk about all the struggles and you talk about you know, the ambivalences and the deep challenges and struggles that we all face. But what one of the wonderful thing about going, whether it's from Greek mythology to Shakespeare to John Steinbeck or, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald or Virginia Woolf, it doesn't matter who you're talking about, but you also feel like we're all in this together. Isn't that such a great way to put it? And I, I think that, you know, it's almost like the power of characters that can that can really shape our world especially as young people you know we can we can see a character story and feel like we can really relate but then kind of be curious about how, well how can i relate to this character if their life is nothing like me but i'm feeling like these same you know understanding these same life problems and i know that i personally felt that when I was younger, just reading characters in books. And I think it's awesome how your mom took it a step further and sort of pulled those characters out as if they were friends and spoke about them as if they were people that you knew. But um, that relation to characters, uh, it is a unique experience that we go through as human beings, whether we're children or adults, in that connection to um, humanness in books. Yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'll sort of riff on another angle of this mm -hmm. too. It's like, I didn't realize it. I, I just stumbled upon this wonderful gig at Manhattan School of Music. 
And it was really a happy accident because I decided I wanted to do private practice because I have, I was, my, my wife and I were having a son and I wanted to be able to really be more here. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a, like what I call a full contact father. I really wanted to be around and to really be enjoying and savoring this creative time because I think children really show us how to be creative again. And to me, that if you want if you want wonder and delight, you know, hang around children. They'll they'll remind you. And if you've forgotten, they'll teach you again. That, that you know, and and so I did that. And by just diving into this private practice, this this job at Manhattan School of Music opened up. And it turns out, as a kid, I I trained as a classical pianist, and in college, I did jazz piano. And and one of the things that I also bring from both of those backgrounds is appreciating the sort of richness of the different harmonies that change in our lives, even throughout the day. Um, you know, if you think about it, we, we don't think of ourselves as basically we're sophisticated emotion regulation machines. <laughs> but at the same time, if you want to think of it more artistically, we're all jazz improvisers trying to figure out how to read the changes of our lives. And, and sometimes we don't know which tune we're playing. Um, and sometimes with a global pandemic, the changes kind of get thrown at us really, really quickly. And then sometimes we're not only playing on our own, we're playing with somebody else. And how do we figure out their changes while we're figuring out ours? And how do we share the stage and make an interesting mashup together? So I, I really was intrigued by how much my piano training and my music training helped me understand how fluid we are, how much mm -hmm. we shift. And it makes it a lot easier for us to be compassionate with ourselves. Could you ever have that ex experience, Brie, or any of our listeners when you feel like, we, where did I go? I thought I was this. I thought I was feeling angry. Now I'm feeling sad. Wait, now I'm feeling very little, <laughs> right? Wait, I thought I loved this person. I hate them. And it goes all over the place. And I thought I wanted to be this, or I felt like I should feel that, but I'm feeling this. We, we tend to see our multiplicity as a problem. And yet, you know, Walt Whitman, the great poet said, do I contradict myself? Very well, then I'm large. I contain multitudes. So one of the things that I love about music is that it reminds us that we start from a place of polyphony. In other words, we have multiple melodic lines operating at the same time, and we can all feel like we're in a fugue state, right? Because it's like, which one are we trying to catch up with? But I think what good therapy does and also what great friends and family conversations help us connect, wait, which is that line, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm just like, I'm feeling lost and found in your words right now. <laughs> I, That's great. If, you know, I, I am just, the way that you just used music and psychology as sort of this fusion to depict who we are as people was profound and beautiful. But also, you know, I'm feeling so connected to your words in, you know, just the understanding of humanness, I guess, yeah. you know, it, it feels, it's so interesting because I feel like so often with all humans, that includes counselors and psychologists alike, as well as our clients and patients, we all go through this, this, I guess, self-discovery piece. Yeah. Uh, and it's just so interesting to hear it sort of spun in the way that you spun it because there, there's not necessarily one 
path that we're supposed to be following. But for some reason, there's something deep inside of us that feels like we have to have it all together and just be going down this one path. But in reality, we are a multiplicity of many different things and many different emotions and many, you know, different experiences that create and develop who we are on top of the fact that, like you said, we could be harmonizing with right. another person as well. So trying to figure that out. And I just, the experience of figuring it out is really what what I'm gathering from this. And it it's so human, but the way that you're putting it is, it just makes so much sense. We are, we are walking contradictions, but we are also, we complement ourselves in such fascinating ways, right? Like we're so, hmm. um, I think, you know, there was a wonderful jazz song called, uh, you are too beautiful. And there's a poet by the name of Billy Collins who riffs on it. And he says like, you know, the line is like, you're too beautiful and I'm a fool. And, you know, Billy Collins says, but nobody ever says, you know, you are a fool and I am too beautiful. But it turns out we are all foolishly beautiful in trying to figure out how to work with these different sides. And, and the funny thing that you mentioned too, Brie, that I think is a real revelation to most of us is this is how we're built. <laughs> yeah. We are all built this way. We are all built to be both divided and connected. And this fiction of having a single self at all times that we must rely on and be perfect is so counter to who, what we actually are. And it does us an injustice. It does us a disservice. Mm-hmm. And actually, here's another point that I thought is really, really cool, because we talk so much about the wonderful importance of inclusivity and diversity in our culture. And, and it's a great that we are waking up to the, the essential aspect of, of really honoring the wonderful mosaic that, you know, this world is. And yet when we look at ourselves, we can so easily marginalize sides of ourselves. We can easily cut them off and treat them as second-class citizens and they're inside us. So I believe that if we can learn how to really embrace and own our diversity within, we can help really, you know, honor the diversity outside of us. And, and I think it's something that we all can do, no matter what political affiliation, ethnicity, religion, doesn't matter. This is an ongoing game. This is an inside job. I, it's, it's really like this this ownership of self in our multiple selves, if that's how we want to phrase it, but ownership of who we are in all that we are in the, in the many phases and spaces and, uh, you know, relational situations as we are owning all of those pieces. I think it's so interesting that you said, you know, how we, we are kind of becoming a more inclusive uh, society or as you said, you know, that diversity that we're trying to make sure is infused in society and sort of making sure that we are always inclusive in everything that we do. But we have such a difficult time seeing that in ourselves, seeing the diversity of who we are or seeing the the unique characteristics of who we are and really embracing those and embodying those. And something that I think is interesting to add on to this is we are also different individuals moment to moment. I am learning from this conversation alone and taking in information and growing just from having the conversation with you. And I think that's another piece that we, you know, if we are sort of 
doing the same thing for a long period of time, we feel like we're still the same person. But we don't really include those growth factors in the in who we are and what we do and what we're working towards. I love that. And I love what you said about being in the moment, because I think the creative act happens in a spontaneous gesture, as um, psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott used to say. This is the guy who came up with the idea of the transitional object, the teddy bear and transitional mm-hmm. space. And I think you're right, you know, and it also happens in the present. It happens right here now. And that was the reason why I, when I was trying to think of a good title for the book, I thought improvisation. Because the, the paradox of improvisation, whether you're a therapist or whether it's just us conversing, right, is this notion of sort of going with where we are in the moment. But it's not like we haven't prepared at all right? Mm. We've prepared. So jazz player isn't totally doing everything spontaneously, but they prepared to see what the moment brings out. I love it. And then what happens is together we create something new. So Brie, as we're talking, we create something new as I resonate with something that you say, and you resonate with something that I say, and then something magical happens. And that's the alchemy. And I think that it's something different. If we looked at mental health as how do we expand the range of our possibility for that kind of creativity? How much happier, healthier, more productive could we be? And, and how much more like, like kind to ourselves and each other? Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I really um, I, I want to stay right here where we're at because you mentioned the book. I'm already intrigued by what you're saying. And I and I just think it's so interesting. Something that I've come across before and I know I've spoke about in in my podcast is sort of the fusion of practice or training or, you know, working towards a goal and then the add-on of circumstance. And I think a lot of people see those two things as like, you know, for someone in a performance art industry, that could be their big break. Once that cir- they've been practicing and going, 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 and then that circumstance happens upon them. But for us, it can happen in a therapeutic setting or for someone else, it can happen wherever that that chance and circumstance presents itself. It's like we can only do so much practicing and training, but then the improvisation is going to happen once that circumstantial thing that we have really no idea what it might be happens upon us. I mean, that, I mean, that is the excitement of it too. See, mm-hmm. as human beings, we love anticipation and we love mystery as Joan Allaire kind of writes so beautifully about in a new book. And, and the other thing is that there's something about like being right on the edge of what's familiar and what's new. And, yes. and I think that's where life really feels like joyful. And, and that's where wonder, I think, happens because wonder is both, oh, my gosh, so fascinating. And oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, is so is wonder something that has stuck with you like from day one or from the early days back with your mom sort of learning about this field and this space, is that something that's really carried you through your journey? Yeah, I think wonder. And I think the other thing that you alluded to before, which I forgot, is I think we're so, I I jokingly referenced it, which is I think we try and run away from ourselves Mm -hmm. too, all of us. Yes. I think we try and run away from where we either come from or who we think we are or we should be. And I think what what happens as we develop i think we recollect it <laughs> and we reclaim it and something that we thought was just um a deficit or a problem 
or or some kind of maybe something that we thought ah, that's not helpful in my life becomes something interesting like i'll give you an example uh just to give you my mind thinks in in songs and mm-hmm. so every once in a while as i've done my own psychological work tom petty's old song refugee starts playing in my head and and the chorus is like you don't have to live like a refugee and it's like well, why is this song playing in my head it came out like like when I was really, really young, I had no reason to really recall it. But it turns out my father was a literal refugee from Egypt who came from Egypt to Paris to America. And as much as I don't know it, it's in my bones. Wow. And yes. and the story of and, and the sensitivity of feeling like what it must be like for people who do feel exiled from themselves or their country or what's rightfully theirs speaks to me. And, and, and not saying, oh, that's so terrible that I have that in my backstory or my dad had that in my backstory. Rather like, wow, that gives me a different kind of sensibility and sensitivity to appreciating it. And we all don't have to live like a refugee. We all really want to have our own kind of sense of kind of groundedness in our own country, metaphorically. Yeah. Wow. That, you know, I just think that the fact that that would play in your head and you sort of realize that it, you know, it was in your bones. I think that just the power right there of that statement um, spoke volumes to me, sort of this, this, I guess, uh, being, you know, not just who you are, but a a combination of the individuals who are in your life or were in your life, as well as the experiences that they have gone through. Um, just really, really uh, unique way for that to happen. And I also think it's so interesting that you said you think in song. I love you <laughs> think in song. And I, I had a conversation with someone the other day uh, <laughs> specifically about how, um, you know, we were talking about happiness, but this person was saying that they realized that they had sort of come out of or were starting to come out of this deep depression they were in when they started to sing again. And I just think that it's the infusion of music in everyone's lives, whether they work in music industry or have any formal training in the music industry or none at all. It really doesn't matter. It plays such an important role in our lives. You know what's interesting too about that, Brie, and I, I I really love this point that you bring up too, is that we so often relegate feeling mm. to logic and, you know, I should feel this or I should do that. But it turns out, you know, the funny thing, the reason I, I wrote this book, it's in the Interpersonal Neurobiology series of Norton. And the reason is because we are built to feel first. We are imaginative, empathic creatures first. That is our first education. And those are the places where we are much more well-developed early and we lose touch with it. And we start to lose that connection to our intuition, to our imagery, to Mm -hmm. metaphor, to humor, um, to this artful way in which we kind of are curious about the world and so i think it's really important to and that's child's mind by the way the child's mind is connected to that and it's and it's wonderful it's a wonderful gift and so i think it's really interesting that it's so easy that we push that aside so we also have to be careful about pushing that aside and then i think when we have feeling kind of conversing with logic it's like that old da vinci has this wonderful picture of the ideal man or ideal human being is like a man like in a square in a circle 
the square is logic and the circle is emotion. And when we can bring those together, God, like, like that's when we become divine. Yes. And I think it's really important, but I think we sometimes really, um, we, we don't give feeling enough credit. You know, I, I'm making some connections right now with everything that you're saying. And I want to see if if I can piece them together and we can work on this together. So yeah. I'm thinking back of, well, what you just said about that the child's mind, the creativity that we have and we sort of lose along the way. When I think of uh, creativity, at least for me personally, I definitely pair it, pair it with that emotional peace, um, mm -hmm. that sense of feeling that, you know, that's where I feel like a lot of my creativity comes from is what I'm feeling. That's where that driver is. Or, you know, they might drive each other. But then, you know, in that sense of sort of losing that child's mind, it seems like we sort of lose the creativity or, you know, the I guess the the doing of creativity to sort of find our way in the logical world around yeah. us. And then this really brings me to sort of tying in that um, sort of several selves pieces where we're now in the world of logic trying to figure out which path to take, which is the one that makes the most sense when we've almost pushed aside the emotional creative piece that we're forgetting to infuse in there to begin with. Yeah. Isn't that funny? My gosh. You know, it just, you know, putting all those pieces together, it really is. And then back to what you said, we kind of come back and recollect ourselves. And I think that's really true. I think that we actually do sort of recollect uh, those creative pieces and those things that bring us back to that, uh, that emotional center and those things that actually bring us um, the more pure happiness or whatever that might be, you know, those more pure felt emotions that we almost yearn for and don't realize that we are even yearning for them. It's weird because when we're expected to kind of grow this expertise, right, or know what we're doing, at the same time, the thing that's going to help us guide us there is what we, that childlike side that mm -hmm. doesn't need to know what we're doing. And, you know, people think that like I do a lot of college counseling and people think the 20s are the most wonderful time years of your life. But I think it's most most challenging and difficult because there is such an expectation for us to be an expert. And yet we have to sort of let go of some of that while we're doing it at the same time. It's really weird. You know, we're almost like building a house, but we're also taking it down to the studs at the same time. And and it's a very strange thing. And, and I think lots of us think that there's something wrong with us because we go through that thing. And I think, you know, really what it is, is that's what the creative process is like. Hmm. The creative process awesome. is both um, a, a sort of, you know, actually interesting. Michelangelo felt like that, you know, with, with creative process, it was sort of liberating the sculpture from the block of marble. And it was a subtractive process and it was kind of taking away stuff. Hmm. But there's also a sense of of also coming down to what's the foundation and and also what is it that you really love and want to bring back with you? It's so well said. I really love the the Michelangelo insert there too, because I don't know that many people think of any of their processes like that. Many people think of a process as something that starts at step one and then goes to step ten, and that's something that is built upon, not taken from, but the chipping away of a block of marble to create a masterpiece is actually, you know, 
the same steps, but we just don't we just don't think about a, a breaking down as part of a process that you know feels right or comfortable to do. And you know, the old psychiatrist joke is when when a patient has a break breakdown, the, the psychiatrist says, "I don't know whether they're saying I'm sorry or congratulations," <laughs> yeah. because because there's actually some healthy creative destruction that can help us through. And the other thing I think that we don't realize is that sometimes we think the only way to tell the story is forward. But a lot of the story is looking at backwards and and understanding the beauty and the inevitability of the story. When you look at a good character in a novel, you don't say, no, nah, it shouldn't be like this. You're like, wait, how did this make sense? And isn't this interesting, the path that they took to get from there to there, right? We, we're so much kinder. It's it, it's so true. And, you know, I, I actually think that you might have segued this segment better than I could have because <laughs> that is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing with this podcast. I think that people's stories are beautiful and seldom told from the place that they think is their natural beginning. And we we can always, you know, congratulate someone on the place that they're at now. But if you don't know the story of how it what brought them to that place, then we're we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, really. We're only seeing a finished product, but we don't we don't know all of the power behind that finished product. Um, and I guess, you know, with that, I, I you have really brought us into your journey and in, in um everything that you have sort of or some pieces of your journey as as you've become who you are now. And I know we talked a little bit about the book and a little bit about um, Manhattan School of Music. Let's talk about everything that you're doing now, sort of how this has all come together for you um, and, you know, how that is building upon everything that you have done uh, throughout your years. Yeah, it's just really interesting um, to see. I, I see a lot of the interplay between all the different fields now. <laughs> Yeah. And it's fun to see the connection between even like something that's going on politically and something that's going on, uh, you know, in literature and psychology. And, you know, one of the things that I was really intrigued about writing this book is that I, I thought it was really cool to try and have this challenge of how do I bring neuroscience together with psychology and music and literature? And my ultimate hope is that you know, maybe it's be fun to write like a general audience book because this book is really geared towards therapists. But I would mm -hmm. love for people to to have a fuller sense of we this is how we work, and yes. and this is beautiful. And it's almost like life hacks my therapist never talked. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be nice to know? I mean, I feel like I feel like one of the things, and I tell this to my patients and clients all the time, is like. I feel like our job is to discover our own instruction manual and really get to know not only how it's made, but also really get a really good troubleshooting section at the end of it. I think that's that is so important for everyone to do and, you know, figure out. But I would say people seldom do that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I and I think you said something, too, that's really important, too. The more that we do that, the more it becomes actually fun. We don't see problems as as something bad we see it as an opportunity mm -hmm. to deepen yes and that's what i meant about wonder wonder always comes back to saying what more can i be enchanted by what more can i learn about myself in this world and my relationships and to me that's where i get excited 
And, you know, whether it's doing a TED talk or writing a book or something like that, or doing this, this kind of lovely show, it's about exciting, getting involved with us sharing this stuff. Because I think more people actually feel this in their bones and their heart, too. Um, and I noticed that, and you probably noticed too with your clients as well, that people really resonate with this stuff. And it's this funny kind of somewhat of a secret. It, you know, it's so interesting because people 100% resonate with everything that you're saying that we're conversating about. And I just think that it's interesting that sometimes we just don't all have the language to sort of have the conversation around it. Or even I would say one of the most difficult things for people to do is to explain what's going on with them, to really explain how they're feeling or to really sort of uh, – name the thing that is happening inside. Um, and I think that's one of one of the unique things that we in the helping profession sort of work on is offering those names and those titles and that verbiage and that help those helpful ways to sort of describe what someone might be feeling or experiencing or going through. And I think that, uh, you know, you said sort of putting out a, a book for an everyone audience, not just therapeutic audience, would be magnificent for that specifically. Because you're right. It's like the things the things my therapist never told me. <laughs> it's like, okay, the therapist is telling me these certain things, but where the heck did that come? How did you see that? And I couldn't see it when I'm living it, you know? And isn't it funny that we, we don't think of creativity when we think of our personal lives? Mm -hmm. We think of it, oh, you got to be a sculptor and, or a painter or a dancer. And if not, you're not creative. And it turns out, by the way, even the artists that I work with, the musicians don't think they're creative in their personal lives. And the funny thing is that when you tap into this fullness, that's what I think my mom really taught me, is that when you tap into this fullness, that this enhances your artistic creativity and your artistic creativity. And I, that's like actually one of the wonderful things I think about <clears throat> this up and coming millennial and Gen Z generation is that they're, they're really honoring how there can be more kind of permeability between mm. the personal and the professional in a way that says, wait, why do we, why do we section these things off when they really enhance each other? And, and I think that's really beautiful that how, why can't we all celebrate this richness? of that creativity. Right. And and really tap into not only the thing that can fuel us as individuals, but that we can really infuse the world with as our expertise, so to speak. You know, that's it's something that using sort of leveraging your creativity, especially like you said, with the new generation, um, especially I know Gen Z is very on TikTok. And if you think about TikTok and that the it's it's a creative forum, but it's a creative forum that people have found that they get to be exactly who they are. And if they continue to be exactly who they are with the right consistency and, you know, leveraging a few different things, you they can make a living out of that. And it's so unique. Yeah. And it's beautiful what you said, too. The more we help find our own voice mm -hmm. artistically, personally, the more we can inspire others to find their true voice. And that's when we're really truly like sharing. And that's when we're truly kind of loving each other as we mm -hmm. are and we're meant to be. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, uh, again, I, I think I'm going to make you my co-host because we... <laughs> 
we are, you know, as as we're sort of approaching um, the last 15 or so minutes of the show, I like to speak on purpose. And here we are talking about, you know, how we can how we can bring our creativity to the world. I think it has a huge piece of purpose in there. Um, so I like to really dedicate a few minutes um, in the later half of the podcast to talk about purpose. And I'd love to know sort of what your idea of purpose is or um, what it means to you, sort of how it's infused in your life. It's so interesting. Um, it's something, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think about as intentionally anymore because i think when you find your purpose you you swim in it mm. <laughs> you know and and i can remember when i when i was in college i did a field placement for a community psychology class and i was talking to juvenile delinquent boys who were the furthest away from my experience whatsoever but what i found was my purpose was that somehow, without really trying, they felt comfortable to really open up with me and share so many different sides of themselves that I, I imagine others in their lives never would have entertained or even summoned or conjured. And to me, that was a purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a purpose of saying, how do we help each other to find those voices that are not recognized? And, and, and the other thing that when you find your purpose, and those are your listeners out there who are trying to figure out what their purpose is, when you find your purpose, you will know because you will forget time. Yeah. You will forget time, you will forget who you're with, and you will be in such a kind of flow state that you will feel like you, you have been hovering in some place that you didn't know existed. And, and that is the place when you know that you have found a big piece of your purpose. Mm -hmm. so I think purpose is a, is, a, is a state of being as well. Yes. I, you know, I, I completely, completely agree. And I think that I, I love that you brought up the flow state because I think that the flow state is something that we as children really feel in that creative space. So we understand what that flow state is because it is, it is, blissful but also engaging there's that level of challenge but not too challenging that we can't do it but just challenging right. enough that we are just sort of in this you know even if it was coloring back in the i mean it really yeah, is it can be in something like that and you watch kids and how engrossed they are yes. because they're immersed and they're you know they're totally connecting to what they're with mm -hmm. like talk about real presence Yes, yeah. absolutely. I just, you know, th that connection there, it's like we experience it then and then we come back to really look for it now. And I think the way that you described purpose and how that flow state is a part of it is 100% spot on. And it just makes so much sense with everything that we've spoke about. Um, okay, so we have 10 minutes left. Uh, so in the last 10 minutes, I like to do a couple things. First, I like to do a quick this or that rapid fire question round. Uh, nothing to be concerned right. about. Okay, great. You're you're ready. Some people ready. some people give me the the nervous eyes. I'm like, don't worry. It's, it's not. Dogs. I promise. Yeah. It's really dogs. like, do you like dogs or cats? That's yeah, essentially dogs. like <laughs> dogs, 100. percent um, After we do the rapid fire, I'm gonna just offer you the floor one more time to leave listeners with whatever you feel. Be best to leave them with and then also let us know 
all of your information, where we can find you, um, however listeners can get in touch. Sure. All right. So rapid fire, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about sort of three pillars. That's development, decision-making, and dedication to purpose. I think we spoke on all of them. Um, so we're going to ask three questions. Well, I'm going to ask three questions on those things. The royal uh, way. <laughs> yeah. The first one, development. Are you in this moment currently working more on personal development or professional development? Both. But the actually, psychologist you know, in you. It's it's really it's really true. Yeah, it's both. It's both. But I, I think it's funny because right now there's such a synergy between them mm-hmm. that that's where that's where I think it really gets cooking. It's Absolutely. Really fun. Absolutely. You know, I sometimes not that I'm trying to trick anyone here, but <laughs> I very that, much that's believe that's your right answer. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that is the right answer. I very much believe that they're super intertwined. It's the basis of all of my work is how personal <laughs> development is what you need for professional development. Um, so you nailed it. I couldn't get you on that one. <laughs> cool. All right. Decision making. There is no right answer for this one, though. This one is totally on you. Um, okay. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an explanation. So decision making. Do you make your decisions based more on choice, meaning you're a numbers person or an analytics guy? Or guiding voice, meaning you follow your gut, intuition, spirituality, or something else of the sort. Mm. Choice so or guiding voice. Choice or guiding voice. Oh. Mm. Sort of. So, do you choose the decision, no, or does the decision come to you? I'm an intuitive, really. In- I intuition, mean, so yeah. the only reason I hedged and hesitated was because meaning is important to me. Mm-hmm. But usually, my intuition is connected to the meaning more. So I, I use my intuition and my feel a lot more. And I trust that spidey sense a lot more than when I was younger. I used to try and go the opposite route mm-hmm. and it would often backfire. You know, I, 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 I've heard a lot of people sort of teeter back and forth with this, similar to what you said, that, you know, they've done one and now they lean into the other or vice versa, depending on where they're at in their lives. So I appreciate that answer. Guiding mm. voice. Uh, okay, the last one is dedication to purpose. Is this sort of finding a purpose? Is this a singular moment in time, or is this a daily practice or occurrence? It's a daily practice. I mean, you know, like that's the fun thing about creativity. Um, they once asked a very famous composer, like, uh, how he felt about the symphony he was working on. He was almost finished, and he said, "No, I'm thinking about the next one now." <laughs> Um, so I, I think, I think really it's about, you know, getting energized about, I think, I think we love as human beings, finding new, finding forms and making new forms. Mm. And I think the more that we get excited and into that process, and I think the more that we see life as dynamic, um, like that, and don't get scared that it has to be so linear, I think then it really becomes enchanting all the time. So I'm, I'm like, you know, constant and I'm always like, my, my father used to joke with me because he's, my father's a very left-brained logical guy, business guy. And so he used to be like, why are you so restless? And I realized that it's restless is a good thing. There's, there's a creative restlessness that I think is really healthy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that, that itch to keep, to keep moving. That restlessness yeah. is just that, that want for, or continuation for more. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That was a, uh, beautifully put answer. Um, all right. We are winding down. So Michael, I want to leave you the floor one last time, whatever you'd like to let listeners know um, as your final words. And then please let everyone know where they can find you. 
Oh, sure. I mean, this has been so much fun, Bria. I was so excited to do this because I had a feeling that we'd be simpatico and it's just fun. I think the other thing too that that I just want to say is it's all about connection. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's all about trying to figure out how you can bring out another person's music and bring out yours together. And mm -hmm. that's when it just becomes so much fun, right? Like that's what becomes so invigorating. So thank you for this. Um, you know, people want to find me. Of course, you can find me on my website. It's just easy, michaelalsey.com. Uh, I have my I have a podcast on there that I did a while back. I have my I have a TEDx talk on those of you who are introverts. Um, I write on a Psychology Today blog where I write about the connection between creativity and you know anxiety and depression and and high mm -hmm. sensitivity and pol political stuff, pop culture references, all sorts of good stuff. Um, and then of course for therapists and counselors out there, you know if, you, if you're interested in checking out my book, it's coming out in May. And it's out for pre-order. So it's uh, on Amazon. And, you know, if you check it out, I'd love for you to check it out and put on a review. Um, and then, you know, I hope to hear more. I hope to hear more from others about how this inspires you, too. So I am one of those people who loves getting emails. So email me. I'd love to hear, you know, what you're working on, what you're what you're excited by. Awesome. And then um, I can add all of this into the show notes as well. So as well as your email, if you would like me to, or whatever, however you want me to offer that for people to get in touch. And just, I just want to make sure that we um, give the name of the book it is Therapeutic Improvisation. Uh, yeah, I sometimes make, make a mistake because I forget, but it's Therapeutic Improvisation, uh, How to Stop Winging It and Own It as a Therapist. Awesome. Wonderful. Uh Dr. Michael, Al excuse me, Dr. Michael Elsie, everyone. Here we go. The very last moment and I trip up on my words, but isn't that the way it is? Um, That's because we've been flowing the whole time. You know, you had to catch your breath somewhere. <laughs> That's it. And, you know, I don't edit anything out, so everyone will hear it. And uh, we're humans, so we make mistakes and we continue to be Perfect. humans. Um, Michael, it has been such a pleasure. Sincerely, thank you so much. Uh, we definitely harmonized this whole time. <laughs> yeah, this has been fun. Thank uh, you. This has been a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Um, all right, everyone, as I end all my podcasts, until next time, let this be the moment. <laughs>